The idea of a temporary fandoms podcast had been knocking around for a while when two things happened that kicked it into action. One was Ewan's enthusiasm for the idea, which I knew was the fuel the project needed to get off the ground. The other was a global pandemic that radically redrew the parameters of how we talk to each other and the time we had to invest in this particularly nerdy enterprise. We launched more or less a year ago with a pilot episode on ESG. It seemed to take us a long time to draw this episode together as we struggled with the right format to convert an album a day Facebook group into a podcast. And over the last 20 episodes, we've hammered out an approach that I think works. But ESG are too good a band to consign to history. And as you'll learn on this episode, it's too often been their fate. So we dusted down Zoe's fabulous introductions and held a new roundtable discussion with some special guests. I hope you'll agree that this time around, we've done ESG justice. If you're not listening to the Spotify playlist edit of the show, which you can find linked from our show notes, please do take the time to go and listen to these records. Or better still, go and buy them. ESG deserve it. You'll find us in all the places where podcasts gather, as well as on tempfans.com and on Beat Rehab. But seriously, after so many episodes on really well-known bands, I hope some of you will take the time to listen to and discover the subject of this reissued and revamped episode of the incomparable... ESG. Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms. Um, I'm Ewan. I'm Nick. And this is episode something. Um, at, at present, we don't know when the episode is going to go out. Um, it, let's just call it a bonus and you'll see why later. Um, before we start, and we'll say this at the end, but we just have to repeat it quite a lot at the moment. Um, like us where you find your podcast, subscribe, follow, whatever whatever it is you have to do, whether it's on Spotify, whether it is on Apple Podcasts. We have an Instagram account. Um, there's links in the bio to all the Spotify playlists. Come and find us and you know, say hi. Um, Nick, what's the Facebook one? The Facebook group is uh, facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. Thank you very much. And obviously, um, we are no longer doing the fall. Um, it wasn't bad. Some of us enjoyed it more than <laughs> others. It was all right. Fuck off, you. It was better than I thought it would be. Um, so what are we doing today? Well, um, if you have listened to all of our episodes, well done. Um, but also, you will notice that there was one called Pilot. When we first started this pod, we were really excited and we really wanted to do band we are going to do today but we didn't know what we were doing we recorded half a round table and eventually just put it out there so we could move on planning to come back to it which we didn't but now we are so rejoining us to do esg is pod favorite zoe van hess hello zoe hello fantastic <laughs> your microphone is working sorry we've had some technical issues in the preamble to this um, rejoining us, uh, last time you heard him was him saying that long can is the best can. Chris Whitby. I, st- I still stand by it as well. It's a, it's a way I live my life. <laughs> and um, joining us for the first time, we're very excited to have writer and broadcaster Cherie Amour. Um, hello. Hello there. Hi. Fantastic. And, sh- and for narrative fans of the pod um, who previously listened to the fall episodes when we had the wonderful Flitz Kitson on, Flitz and Cherie were in a band back called Violet Violet. I've written down Color twice. And Cherie is also writing the upcoming book on ESG for the 33 and the third series from, is it Bloomsbury? 
Yes, it yes. is. Same as Harry Potter. Mm. She's she's writing a Harry Potter. You heard that here first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, we're going to keep the introduction brief as you do. Um, the next voice you're going to hear will be Zoe as she will talk you through the, the history and the discography of ESG. Um, find the Spotify playlist. Best option is either to go to tempfans.com and click on one of the links on the player or go to maybe our Instagram account where we've got a little link tree that can take you directly there. Um, if you are in Spotify, find us as a user as opposed to finding the podcast. But if you find the podcast, ah, yeah, you'll find it. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's 2021, computers and stuff. Anyway, we'll be back in a bit. ESG were initially a band made up of four teenage sisters plus a friend on congas from the South Bronx in New York. They formed in the late 1970s, released their first record in 1981, and were still releasing material as recently as 2017. The current incarnation of ESG features the children of original members, and they're still touring. If you think you've never heard a scrap of ESG, you're probably wrong. If you've heard any of the following tracks... Ain't No Half-Stepping, Big Daddy Kane, Yes Sir, MF Doom featuring Raekwon, Return of the Mac, Mark Morrison, Night of the Living Baseheads, Public Enemy, Let's Ride, Q-Tip, R.I.P., Prodigy, Take a Rest, Gangstar, Putting Shame in Your Game, Beastie Boys, Fantasy, Miles Davis, Metal, Nine Inch Nails, Lesson 4, DJ Shadow, 100 Miles and Running, N.W.A., New Jack Hustler, Ice-T, Cutting Rhythms, Tone Loke, Story to Tell, Ja Rule, Made You Look, Apache Remix, Nas, The Bomb, Ice Cube, Versus, Burial, Get Away, De La Soul, That's The Way We Like Em, TLC, Mr. Goodbar, LL Cool J, Troublesome, 92, Tupac, Daydreaming, Love It Dub, Massive Attack, It's All About The Hip Hop, Jurassic Five. It's the late 70s in New York, specifically the South Bronx, which has the dubious honour of being seen as the murder, rape, robbery, aggravated assault and arson capital of America throughout this decade and the next. The heart has been ripped out of this community by the Cross Bronx Expressway and buildings are constantly burning due to almost complete urban neglect and decay, fire insurance scams and a skewed compensation policy that actually manages to encourage arson by residents. In the midst of this, Ma Scroggins, the matriarch of a large family, wants to keep her four younger girls away from gang violence and early pregnancy. She's seen her older children get into trouble with crime and drugs, so when the younger ones express an interest in playing music, she sees it as a way to keep them occupied. All her savings go into buying them instruments. Yes, all the New York cliches. All of them, all at once. Let's go on. There's no money left for music lessons, so the Scroggins girls practice at home. They soak up the rhythms of the Bronx, the sounds from block parties where DJs concoct sets from old funk records, looping James Brown breaks to keep the crowd dancing, the clatter of Latin percussion being played in the park at night, the playground chants and disco hooks. They try to cover their favourite tunes by using their cheap percussion, guitar, drums and a bass, but they soon realise that to expedite things, it's easier to write their own songs. That way, no one knows if you mess up while playing them. When Mask Roggins feels they're ready, she enters the teenage sisters into various local talent contests. 
The judge of one of these contests is Ed Bauman, the owner of 99 Records. Releases include Liquid Liquid, Glenn Branca, Bush Tetras, Maximum Joy. They don't win the contest, but Bauman takes them under his wing as a sort of unofficial manager and starts booking them at New York alternative clubs like Hurrah and the Mud Club, as well as disco venues like Danceteria and the legendary Paradise Garage. When a certain ratio play New York, they share the bill with ESG. Tony Wilson, the manager of Factory Records, asks the girls if they'd like to make a one-off record for him. Three days later, they're in the studio, recording with prolific producer Martin Hannett. Joy Division, New Order, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, Magazine, Juriti Column, A Certain Ratio, OMD, Buzzcocks, U2, Need I Go On. ESG record two songs, You're No Good and Moody. They still have a few minutes of tape left, so Martin Hannett asks them if there's any more material, just to use up the reel. They decide on a song called UFO. The end result of this session is the first side of ESG's eponymous EP. The other side is three songs from a live set. Recording with Factory helps Ed Bauman form a partnership with the label. ESG release on Factory and subsequently 99 Records. They go on to release another EP called ESG Says Dance to the Beat of Moody in 1982. These tracks are on the next album, so only seek it out if you don't mind hearing it again. Also, some of these songs will pop up on later albums, but I think it's important to hear this EP first to get a feel for what it was that Ed Bauman and Tony Wilson saw in ESG. I'd like to start this with a quote from Renee Scroggins. The block parties were happening and stuff, and the DJs were playing Moody and UFO, and they didn't even know we made it. Because of the factory label, they thought ESG came from London. They play in it downstairs, and we live in upstairs. Come Away With ESG consists of previously released singles and newer material to make up ESG's first long player. By this time, Moody had been released as a single, and also as a 12-inch remix. Both ended up doing well in the clubs. Due to the factory imprint, DJs in the US just assumed ESG were a London-based act. New York City nightclub The Paradise Garage listed the song in its top 50 all-time tracks, as did The Gallery, The Warehouse, The Music Box and The Roxy. It was a significant track within the emerging house music scene and has become an underground dance classic. Come Away With ESG is arguably ESG's best album. Both Kathleen Hanna and Jennifer Harima have cited it as an influence on their work, but you can probably hear shades of ESG in numerous other bands who've echoed their minimalist swagger. It's worth mentioning that as well as hip-hop and house, there was a two-way street of inspiration going on in punk circles too. ESG also came into their own as a live act. As regulars on the happening New York live scene, they were a good choice to appear on the bill with The Clash and Grandmaster Flash. Renee says, That was at Bonds. It was famous because the fire marshals used to come in the whole time and try to shut the place down. The first night we opened the show, the crowd drenched The Clash in beer. It was cool pay, but we didn't want to get drenched because we were just starting and we didn't have money for new instruments. And they left our instruments up there and we were like, save the drums! Thanks to Tony Wilson, ESG also played opening night at the Hacienda in 1982. Renee is adamant that the Factory Records connection was an important milestone.
Eight years after their previous record, ESG release ESG the album. ESG is a mix of old and new material. Moody and UFO pop up again, so you could call it a cash-in. But in order for it to be that, they would have needed paying properly in the first place. In 1986, just as ESG were on the cusp of mainstream success, 99 Records folded, which meant the band had no label and no manager. 99 Records went bust after they tried to sue Sugarhill Records for using a sample by Liquid Liquid, only to be left with the court costs when Sugarhill went bankrupt. Here's Renee. Ed Bauman was our first manager, and hey, I love Ed. Ed was great, but he was also running the 99 label. And what happened was, the White Lines case with Liquid Liquid's Cavern, Sugarhill Records put out White Lines sampling Liquid Liquid without permission. And after that, Ed just became so disenchanted with the business. He went and did the whole case, and he won. And then Sugarhill went into bankruptcy, so he lost all that money, and it was horrible. He also used all the artist's money on the label. Ed and I, we'd kept in touch for a long while after, when many other artists didn't know where he was. Ed lives in Brooklyn now, and you can't even get him to talk about those years. You could ask him anything, but don't ask him anything to do with 99. ESG are not fans of sampling, justifiably so. But perhaps it's not sampling that's the problem. If you sample another artist and find success, as long as there is a fair distribution of funds, as well as crediting and recognition, then everyone should be happy. What happened to ESG was that they didn't get paid, often weren't credited, and were working their day jobs and raising children while their music was being appropriated all over the place, and they watched others get rich off the back of it. I'm still saying to myself, don't these guys realise that women wrote this music? And yet you're calling every woman a bitch and a whore and treating them like garbage? And they're using my music to write their beats? That's what I don't like. Because I do not support what they're saying. We don't find out about it until after the fact, and then they want to fight you about your music. And it's like, okay, you've already insulted me once, and now you're insulting me again. I don't appreciate it. It even got to the point where people would talk to them after gigs and ask about the cover versions they just performed, not knowing they were the originators. A bit like saying to Stevie Wonder how much you like his cover of that Coolio song. When Renee was asked if she thinks things would have been different if ESG had been, say, white guys, she says, of course. Of course, we've had to fight sexism. We've had to fight, in some situations, racism. That has a lot to do with the clubs and the level of respect they gave you because you were a woman, because you were black. SG's forte for making these bare bones, extended, funky breaks was also their weakness. It made them extremely easy to sample, even down to the format of 12-inch records that in the early days could be looped to allow MCs to throw down over. The solid foundation they created allowed others to create on top of it. This album's mix of old and new is slightly jarring. Despite this, there are still good tracks on this album, originally released in 1991 on small independent powwow records. It was also re-released on Fire Records in 2011. The guitar takes a more prominent role, with varying degrees of success, and there is a branching out of sorts. Personally, I feel there's more chaff than wheat on this one. Once again, I'll leave it up to the listener to decide which is which.
There are a couple of reasons why I've used lots of quotes in the past few album introductions. One is because there is very little information about ESG out there, apart from interviews with the band that mainly feature Renee and her accounts. Another reason is because they appear to be so often undocumented and ignored, it seems right to let the band members tell the story for themselves. This album, Step Off, from 2002, features a band lineup of second-generation Scroggins girls. Chastel, Valerie's daughter, who has an instrumental named after her on the first album, is on guitar, and Renee's daughter, Nicole, is on bass. Truly a family affair. By this time, there had been a resurgence in interest in ESG, mainly down to other artists declaring ESG's influence on their work, and also due to a compilation that was released in 2000 called A South Bronx Story. Step Off has more continuity than the last album. It doesn't deviate much from the ESG formula, but does have a surprise in the form of the almost a cappella It's Not Me, which sounds like the beginnings of a stonking house tune, but never actually goes there. Once again, ripe for sampling. Why do they do this to themselves? Also, Six Pack keeps that punk funk spirit alive. From here on out, we've got a few albums of variable quality. I'll leave it up to you to decide which is the most or least coherent, but I'll hazard there are still grooves to be enjoyed on each one. Minimalism is still used to good effect on Keep On Moving, but the lyrical simplicity on this album is either grating or endearing, depending on how you feel about the band. The percussion sounds great, and as always with ESG, they have ideas. It's the execution that's the issue. To me, this typifies both ESG's potential and restrictions. Their stop-start recording history, line-up changes, energy diverted into chasing sampling clearance, lone parenthood and holding down day jobs have all contributed to a distinct lack of progression in one sense. We know they can come up with the goods, but one suspects that they need the right amount of support to see it through to the finished product. Even by 2006, getting paid those dues is still a struggle, and Renee has had to employ a company purely to chase up those samples. Here she is again. Every day, something new comes up. To me, that's horrible. To the people who clear it with us, thank you. To the people who don't, you're a pain in the ass, and I'm going to come after you. You're taking food out of my kids' mouths. Neglected for so long, while obviously compelled to keep making music, the fact that they didn't get nurtured or receive the deserved support at a crucial time means that they sound stuck in limbo between work that sounds like demo material and something more fully formed. This album was their second release on soul jazz, apart from the compilations, and Renee had this to say about them. Soul jazz reminds me of when we first started out, someone being willing to put their faith in you. I think only independent labels have the balls to do these things. Over in the States, we got a bargain for every dollar we get. Unfortunately, it doesn't last. We're almost at the finish line with ESG. What a legacy. It's hard to think of another band who's had such an influence on hip-hop and dance music and indie music and also gives a nod to industrial and goth, yet remain niche. Why do they only have around 11,000 likes on Facebook? Surely it should be 10 times that or 100 times that. With Closure, we're now into self-release territory. 
and it shows, both in the production and the song selection, and check out the artwork as well. As far as I know, this album was called Closure, because at this point ESG were going to call it a day. Possibly because of Renee's knee injury, which was stopping her from performing live comfortably, but maybe the ongoing legal battles with sister and ex-member Deborah, as well as other music business woes, had taken their toll. In 2015, they had a spat with Fire Records over reinterpreted artwork for a re-release of the Moody EP, and I'm not sure what happened with Soul Jazz either. As for the album itself, you can often detect a poignancy in ESG's music. It's hard not to think of them as slightly outsider. There's a complete lack of pretense, a defiance, a simplicity, a bloody-mindedness, almost verging on the naive. For all my imaginations about what they could have been, given some investment and nurture, it's worth considering that a slick and polished ESG just might not work, that we would lose something, the thing that makes them unique. For these last two albums, I'm going to hold back on what I think, and leave it to you, the discerning listener, to decide. But I will say this, just when I'm about to step off, strange creatures dance. What more can you take? 2017. We finish our ESG journey with another self-release. I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say it's been both joyful and strange. Ostensibly, ESG went away after closure, but came back to do Glastonbury and Meltdown in 2014. Then, this album came out in 2017, and new live dates kept popping up, even though they did a tour a couple of years ago, saying it would be their last one ever. So if you see an ESG date pop up, it's probably a good idea to go and see them. They have a good reputation for putting on a decent live show. If by now you've fallen in love with ESG, there are other releases to seek out. The Sample Credits EP, Bam Bam Jam 12-inch, Party Music 12-inch, which is personal favourite, a few compilations, and ESG Live from 1995. While commercial success has eluded ESG, it's hard to imagine them wanting to shift units. Uncompromising, for better or worse, is a word that springs to mind. It comes down to how you measure success. They absolutely should be more well-known and given the kudos they deserve for their lasting influence. They should be able to make a living from what they've done and do. But as Renee says, one of the greatest things I can say, and it truly made my mum proud, was that we were able to travel the world on our music. Also, to still be performing 40 years after forming is testament to ESG's tenacity. In my book, they're winning. As for the album itself, well, nobody cares what I think. It's up to you, the listener. So check it out. Let us know. Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms, the ESG Redux. We're doing it again, um, but we're doing it properly this time. Um, rejoining Nick and myself are Zoe Von Hess. Hey, Zoe. Hiya. Sharia Moore. Hey, Sharia. Hello. And Chris Whitby. Hello, Hello. Chris. Hello. Perfect. So uh, let's get cracking. Um, Zoe, 
Yes. Uh, ESG, uh, which, hang on, emerald, sapphire, gold, is that correct? Yeah, or they've also, like, I think there's a vinyl record where they're also referred to as the Enterprise in Scroggins Girls, which I think is amazing. <laughs> I want that. Yeah, I want that to be their band name. And I, that, that original band name, it's a little bit like, like, you know, when you start a band when you're nine, and you think, what shall we call ourselves? Oh, I like emerald. It, it, it's got that kind of young naivety feel about My it. My little so, unicorn. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I, I like both. But yeah, Enterprising Scroggins Girls, it's always going to be for me. Yes? What, what was your question? Was, <laughs> and this was, this was, so this is what, late 70s, um, uh, Mar Scroggins, this still is a name that brings joy every time I say it out loud. Mar Scroggins basically hands her kids bunches of instruments what to keep them off the street i guess i mean it, it does sound like a cliche we it's hard to separate the uh the legend from the truth but i dare say you know there would have been a passion there for music definitely and for sure she gave her children instruments they didn't have enough money for lessons but they they made something and they did something this is the late 70s and definitely the part of new york that they were from there's no denying that it was a rough part of town. So I think that, uh, that's true. And so from what I can gather from my, <laughs> my shambolic scatological research, um, they learned by Shaka Khan numbers, Rolling Stones numbers. Uh, they, didn't re- they learned to play as they were forming the band. It wasn't that they, they could play. They just learned as they went along. Yeah, very right? much in that sort of punk ethos and i think the jackson five they were quite into as well so they'd like watch telly and then try and sort of imitate that but they kind of cottoned on that if you play your own tunes then it doesn't matter if you fuck them up so much so if you're doing (laughs) covers then you've got to get it right but it's much easier if you just make up your own because nobody knows you know um sheree when you were in violet violet um did you ever do any covers or were you frightened to in case people screamed at you on stage Mm, we did dabble in a few covers. We cho- we chose some quite odd ones. We did Blondie, as you would imagine, with our heritage. Uh, we tackled Kings of Leon at one dubious stage. Um, <laughs> and also, actually, one song that worked uh, in set religiously was Talking Heads by the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. Although Fliss was very that I couldn't do the French part, so we didn't do that in um, Psycho Killer. Ah, uh, wait, 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 wait! But you have a—I've uh, been practicing my French pronunciation just to say your name, and you weren't allowed to do the French part. She was basically like, "You're studying French. You can't do the French part. Don't do the French part. It's going to look weird." <laughs> um, regular listeners will know that whenever we need somebody to pronounce something in German, we we lean over to Nick, not because he can, but just because he will. Just because <laughs> he will. He will. Exactly. Um, so, um, New York, 1970s, um, and you, you're right. I think. Zoe, it's going to be very hard to separate cliches from this, um, particularly through the first few albums and EPs. I had the image of every single movie or TV series I'd ever grown up with that had anything about um, New York, including gangs, street parties, corrupt cops, and somebody saying he's on Angel Dust. And I still don't know what Angel Dust was, but it was something from all those movies back then. But they got together. They managed to put out a couple of EPs first yeah they put correct yeah they put out an ep first obviously someone saw that they had talent and they're sisters and they had like so i think there's four sisters and a friend um and they were entered into talent contests by their mum and 
that's where someone went, oh, yeah, we'll give them a chance. And then from there, I think the, the key thing that happened was Tony Wilson saw them and then he got them to record. So he was pretty instrumental in, in getting them to make a recording. Um, so they were supporting, they somehow ended up supporting, what, a certain ratio? Yes, that's the and, one, yep. And Tony Wilson went, because yeah, cause certain ratio was supposed to be his next new Joy Division that never happened. Um, but obviously then he brought them over. Did they ever go over to, say, Manchester to Factory Records, or was it all done? I think it was done in New York, as far as I can remember. Um, I think they eventually went over to Manchester, because they opened the Hacienda. They were there for the oh. Hacienda opening. Yeah. Well, the, the opening opening? Yeah, yeah, they played, yeah. Opening of the hospital. Ah. She was pregnant, um, Renee, at the time. It's a really amazing story, actually. But anyway, it's all in the pod. You have to listen to the. It is. It yeah. is. Uh, this is the pod. Yeah, but people have already heard that in the in, in the introduction. In my introduction okay. Yeah. I had a note about that though, because she. Um, I hadn't realised that she was pregnant with her daughter, who then later joined the band. So we'll obviously exactly. get to that point, which is amazing. But so she amazing. also gave birth, and then three days later performed supporting pill. Um, in Pasadena, in California, yeah, which is absolutely absolute is. force. Yeah, that is. I mean, if I have a headache, I almost cancelled this pod today because I was a bit hungover. <laughs> I mean, God forbid. Um, okay, so the, there was there was a bunch of EPs which were sort of was it put together? Put they were put together for a, a sort of secondary release. There was a four track and a three track. Is that right? Or am I going crazy? I think with the debut EP, wasn't it, there's a sort of studio side and a live side? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the first EP, yeah. And then, like, there's a lot of, not rehashing, but, like, re-releasing. I think there's a couple of versions of Moody, so they re-recorded them. I think they were just trying to get it out there, and they kept sort of getting on record labels, and record labels would fold or they'd fall out with someone. So I think that's why we have a lot of repetition. But I think... If we want to focus on their first recording, then that is the the, uh, the EP, which was in 1981. Um, thank you. Um, I'm just going to stop for half a second. Can everybody, everybody who's not on headphones, turn down their speakers so they can hear just enough? Because there's a lot of background I'm, that's coming through from somewhere. It's not a bad thing. I can remove it in like a noise gate, I think, but just in case. Um, and so that was in 19... And I'm going to go back and ask you about UFO. Um, okay, so Moody was one of their first sort of tracks, and was UFO on the original EP? It was. Yes, it was. And, and then- there's a good story about that too, because um, there was a bit of tape left. Tape, remember tape? Um, and I think the other members of the band, so this was Renee's kind of thing that she liked, this guitar riff sound thing that she'd done, and the rest of the band weren't that bother- bothered about it, but they needed to use up the tape, so they recorded this sort of instrumental called UFO and she said because she felt like it sounded like a UFO landing so her 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 guitar sound was like channeling this sort of vision of a UFO landing in New York and it ends up being sampled by everyone just this little piece of music and it's just a few seconds so anyway carry on yeah yeah and it's it's the siren part right yeah. the sort of and it's you and most samples because uh, when I listened to your original dis- description, I went off and tried to find them. And most samples seem to be speeded up or at different paces. So it's just this weird little thing that got used over and over again. Yep. Um, do we think it was used, and this is for anybody really as a question, do we think that sample was used by so many people 
because of how good it was or because other people were using it. It's a sort of chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Because it became one of the defining sounds of hip hop. It's like if you want to make a hip hop record and you put that sample on it, you sound authentic because everyone was sampling it. It's on so many classic records. And anyway, why can't it be both? Mm. Oh, I just asked a question. I mean, I wrote down questions <laughs> and, then, and then I back away. I mean, one of us has to have a role. One of my friends who, one of my friends who occasionally listens to the pod said, oh yeah, I'm the other guy that's on, the one that knows about music. So I'm like, fine, <laughs> if Nick's the one that knows about music, I'm just going to ask some questions. Um, it's better at bluffing you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, got sampled quite a lot. They had this initial early sound. I want to now properly spend some time with Come Away With, um, which was their first um, studio album. Um, this was what year? 81? 83, 83, I think. 83, sorry. I mean, when I listened to this for the first time, um, when we were recording the first version of this pod i i got post-punk meets buffalo girls type skipping audio again the new york cliches are flying around in my head they're sort of um it i've had a look i think pitchfork has it as the 50th best album of the 1980s um which was doesn't seem that high but then i scrolled up and the 80s were actually way better than <laughs> um and, but this is this is what we said this is new york in the early 80s um they're in the studio um, actually making a proper record. They've had their EPs. Um, I'm going to go straight to Cherie, first of all, for this one, and then back to Zoe, just to mix up the order. Um, so why? I mean, how, how did the album come, up, come about? Uh, was it a smooth recording? I mean, what do we know about this? So uh, Zoe alluded to it earlier, but it's on 99 Records, this release. So I think it's interesting to chart the labels that are behind the releases as well because it shows quite a lot between the dynamics of Renee as a sort of stronghold in the in the group and then how she interacts with the industry how she gets tired with the industry and then where she sort of ends up you know with their last release five years ago so it's on 99 Ed Ballam is still heading that up he is a very interesting character because he is the guy that Zoe referenced taking them to these talent shows um, and their mum comes along because at that point they're still underage, right? So they have to have their mum at most of the shows and she keeps them on the straight and narrow. Um, they record the record. Yeah, it's got a few, as I mentioned, like there are a few tracks that keep popping up and they kind of do, you know, reiterations of similar things. So Moody appears on there. It's revamped from the first EP. Um, I'm, I want to, as someone who gets her name said a lot incorrectly, I'm hoping I'm saying Chistel correctly. But obviously that goes on to be Valerie's daughter's name as well. And that's a kind of surf punk romp. Um, you make no sense. It's just what's a tune. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it's it's a really good sort of microcosm of that period because it's all four sisters together as well. And I'm sure we'll get onto that. But at the start, it was kind of four of them with those instruments that Mars Scroggins gifts them, uh, creating this kind of fusion funk taken from the streets of the projects where they're learning to play percussion with coat bottles and stuff, which yes, sounds trite and sounds a bit kind of forced, but is actually how Renee talks about it, um, which is, yeah, it's so vivid and so wonderful. I think that's it. Um, I think some music can really evoke a time and place. I mean, obviously we have the cultural touchstones or touch points 
that we use to help evoke that. But something sound of, I, I can't listen to any Miles Davis without thinking of, of smoky jazz bars that I've never been to. Uh, you know, and this, this evokes a time and place as well. Um, also, there's a weird energy about it. Um, if anyone ever used to watch The Young Ones, and I'm sure we all did, there was a band that appeared on once called Rip, Rig, and Panic. And it was Nana Cherry's original band, but she'd okay. left by that point. Um, but there's, it's just the, the sort of shambolic energy of a bunch of different styles in these sort of early mm. 80s. There's a bit of punk, there's a bit of funk, there's a bit of whatever we got um, sort of working in there. Um, Zoe. Yeah. Um, did, is this, and I, I, hate to, I hate to even ask it at this point, is this their best album? Do they peak really early? Um, you're, you've got a cocktail coming right behind you. Um, that's a bit of a visual reference that audio, audio listeners, tough. It's very fancy as well. Like that's not, there's, no, there's literally no half measures there, all, all in. Like, it's either a water lily or it's an aviation. I can't, I don't know. If, if, yeah, there's two ingredients wow. that might be different. Anyway, before I get distracted, I think, I think this is pretty much a perfect album, perfect cocktail, perfect album. I mean, there's nothing wasted on this one. Mm. I, I'm not sure about um, the Nana Cherry Band because for me, I feel that they're really quite indie and funky. So I feel they're like they're like a funky cure. They remind me. Yeah. It, the sound of it reminds me of um, Boys Don't Cry, that album Boys Don't Cry. So there's like some crossover there, and I love that there's this funkiness, but also there's this um, indie thing. And this is before the indie dance crossover of the '90s. So there was that thing going on there. I also think it sounds really timeless. So even though it w- it's, you know, 1983, to me, I don't listen to it and go, oh, this is such an 80s album, like I would maybe the Human League or something like that. Um, the simplicity of it can be quite deceptive because I think it's quite hard to do what they're doing and do it that well. There's loads of energy, like Ewan said. There's like, you know, you've got that vibrancy of this young family band coming through. And I had a look the other day, and I think Dance is on this one, isn't it? That's had like 6 million plays on Spotify, right? 6 million plays. But when we took this band to the group, no one knew who they were, pretty much, right? And so, yeah, so this is my question. It's like, why? Why doesn't anyone know who they are? They've got this amazing album. But but is it because they have have one amazing seminal album, but... It never their career. They disappear for a few more years, and then they sort of come back later. It's not like they were constantly churning stuff out in the eighties and sale album after album after album after album. Um, I mean, yeah, I think you're right about the sort of the indie aesthetic, um, and yeah, there is obviously a lot of post punk, and it is deceptively simple. Um, I have comments about that sound with later albums, but for this one, it does really, really, really work for me. Um, Chris, you're, you're, you're opening your mouth as if you wanted to say something, so I, and luckily I'm jumping straight to you. Um, I'm intrigued now. So how old were they when they recorded it? Because like the quality level, like that first three of, is it, oh yeah, dance and you make no sense. Like That's like an outrageous level of quality straight away. And I'm not saying that age is always a signifier of how good the quality is going to be, but that is outrageous basically to start and come out so quickly that's what's intrigued how old they were that's what i'm gonna ask i'm gonna say like 17 so yeah uh, i think i think that's about right yeah they would have been late teens and by the sort of as they were doing things like hacienda opening they were coming into their early 20s i believe yeah 
There's a really ropey YouTube video um, of the three of them playing and it is amazing it's I mean the quality is awful but you get the idea of just these like really young sisters with this really exciting yeah vibrant sound I think you're I think you're right as well Zoe there is something about it it's totally you could release that album today and it just mm. wouldn't you wouldn't think like because I remember when I was listening to it like a track like the beat just makes me think of something like the go team or someone like that that kind of yeah. very and you just I think that's amazing because um as a side point, obviously coming back into doing the podcast, much like with Can, you know, you spend lots of days. I've been listening to like a few albums a day, going over and going over. And sometimes when you're revisiting bands, you get a point where you think, I've had enough of this now, you know, I'm done, whatever. But I found with this one in particular, it's not actually my favorite. It's my second favorite. But I just, every time I put it on, I just was into it again. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going through the, the cycle of it. It's just yeah. something so exciting and kind of... Um, it just it's, it's the kind of album you can imagine someone this is a cliche but we're going we've got lots of cliches already you can imagine someone hearing that album and going i want to be in that band i want to be in a band and it feels doable i'm not saying it's easy to make those songs yes, yes. but it feels doable that's what yeah. it sounds like and that's not to underplay how um, like how complex it is to make songs that catchy mm. but yeah they feel doable and achievable that's what it feels like when you listen to it um, we're mentioning that sorry we're mentioning that um, you could release that this album now um, would it be released as sparse now? Do you think? Do you think a producer would be all over it, adding things and turning things up? And because um, obviously a lot, of, there's a lot, a lot of production on things now makes it bigger sounds. I mean, you listen to old records from say the '90s and from the '80s, people could get away with a flatter sound here or less oomph here because it wasn't what was expected. Whereas now. I just feel someone go, oh, we need something else. Let's get something else here. Let's turn that bit up. Let's get a bit of distortion on this. Um, do you think yeah, you, they could have released this now in the same way, or do you think it would be messed with anybody? I think there are a lot of bands that have done that sound more recently that I have listened to now and think, you know, like, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, Shopping, for example, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. who I love. I saw them play live. And I was like, wow, someone likes ESG. You know, like those bass, bass lines could be from an ESG record. And they are a band that keeps things quite clean, very clean guitar. You know, all of the levels are quite similar. Um, lots of drums, lots of interesting drums. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like there is space for that. And it's interesting what Chris was saying about, um, you know, the importance of seeing those sisters play like that and how that would inspire someone to pick up the guitar. Because doing the research for the book, there are so many... And I wonder if that ties to your point as well, Ewan, about um, where they sit as this kind of cult band, even though they're in the footnotes of history. There are so many bands that reference them. So it's almost like a musician's band or like, you yeah. know. And so I know Kathleen Hanna has talked a lot about them influencing La Tigra. And likewise with Karen O, that was a huge thing for her and Nick. Apparently there's a lovely quote from her saying like, they just wanted to be ESG when they started. Um, just like minus the base, that's what they were going for. So, um, so, so uh, the idea of them being a musicians band, sort of like looking, at, you know, across the spectrum of people like Daniel Johnston, uh, as an example, as people go, he inspired me. He's amazing, and everyone else goes, who? Um, I mean, as an aside, when we did Daniel Johnston after his passing on the Facebook group, um, and for people who are listening, obviously this came from a Facebook group. Ah, come to the Facebook group. Um, it was, you could hear where other people 
got their influences from, although it was a very difficult month to get through because obviously there's all the tapes, etc. ESG luckily has a nice sparse discography for us to get through. Um, Sorry, just two things I was going to add. Just, I think um, one, going back to the idea of the, would this sound be released now? I do think there is a, a movement, like I don't know if you want to know the band, like Crack Cloud and that kind of sound where they're really, it's, I mean, I went to see them recently and it's really sparse and really kind of trebly. Like there's, there's a movement in which, but I don't know whether, I mean, they don't, I don't think they're on a major label or anything. So again, they've got that freedom to have that kind of, um, simplicity to it i suppose and the other thing i was going to say about the the um influence and i might sound like a stuck record because i mentioned them last time but i think the first time i actually heard of esg was lcd sound system and i feel like that's and i think that's another band where i don't know really you know like yeah just he has all these bands circling around him that he's evidently just taken massive chunks from so it's a real shame that they didn't yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've got six million plays. Did you say, Zoe? That's still a pretty for dance. Yeah, that that yeah, that's that still single. pretty hefty. Yeah. yeah, but there's something about that. They're another one that circles around LCD Sound System, and it's a shame that they didn't. Obviously, haven't got as much as some of the bands that have come out of that. So, I'm just not going to try and mention LCD Sound System every time I come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a challenge. It's now. okay. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a real challenge, actually. Yeah. Nick yeah. mentions the Nick mentions the fall every episode. Oh Whip. shit! Mm. Now I've just mentioned the fall. Yeah, I, because, I haven't said anything. <laughs> Well, um, I th- okay. I think Shisto could be a full song in a way. No. That's, yeah, a, that's all I've got say, to say. No, I was going to say that I think there's a connection with the fall as well because of that repetitive riff thing. I mean, it is quite repetitive. And, and because this is the thing, we call that a groove, right? But we don't call it a groove with, with the fall. Why is that? Is it why do we have to have like indie is a riff? And then if it's anything mm. kind of like funky, then it's a groove. But it's all a groove to me. Absolutely. Cool. I think that's a perfect move, uh, moment to sort of fly through the 80s a little bit. So how are they, how are they received? Let's, you know, this came out early 80s. Um, I know that people started sampling them through the 80s to the point that they released, what, sample credits don't pay our bills EP later on. Um, but did they get reception from musicians or the wider public at large or did they sort of disappear into history for a bit until they came back in the early 90s uh zoe sherry three i would say well from my reading it feels i've said it before but it does feel like their peers were certainly aware of them and their peers were impressed and into them so there's a lovely quote in the beastie beastie boys book about them being the coolest band in the 80s and i love Mm -hmm. that i just think like for such a huge band to call out this sister troupe that most people haven't heard of is a massive, you know, accolade. Um, but yeah, other than the kind of the New York scene, I guess, as Zoe mentioned, they've gone over to Manchester as well. So they've got a bit of um, uh, known, you know, they're, they're well known in that sense as well. But other than those, you know, Manhattan, Manchester circles, mm-hmm. I don't know if it made it much further yeah yeah i would agree yeah i think that it's very much it was a club thing i mean if you think about it especially come away with esg it's like live dance music it's it's like almost like proto house but it's done with live instruments so i think they worked very well in those settings that maybe didn't break through to the mainstream in that way Mm -hmm. at that time okay okay so we're moving into the early 90s 
Um, and there was ESG, ESG, I guess. Um, was this a compilation of previous things that came out? Um, I mean, I know that when I, when I put it on again the other day and standing in line opens, obviously opens up the whole thing. And um, I think Nick had mentioned this to me last year and I didn't spot it at the time. It's Nine Inch Nails head like a hole. Was it me? Now you mentioned you mentioned something about it being industrial. I thought it sounds like Public Image Limited. I could imagine John Lydon delivering those same lyrics. Now, just the drums. The drums are are proper Nine Inch Nails, which is about the right time. Yeah, I guess early like ninety one. Was it when when did this come out? Yeah, it was ninety one, but it's a compilation, so I don't know if it was it just capturing all the stuff they'd released since Come Away with ESG. Or... I'm not sure it was a compilation. I think that they they had new tracks, but they also had reworkings of songs that they'd done before. Mm. Right, okay. So I'm not – it was a mix of old and new material. I don't think mm. it was any sort of cash-in. It's just that I feel – do you know in those days where people would release – I'm trying to think of which band it was. There was – maybe it was AHA. They released Take On Me like three times, didn't they, to try and, like, get hit. So I feel like it's very much in the spirit of that, like – if you made a record with a track on it and didn't do very well, then you would try and release it again to, in the hope yes. that it would get picked up. So perhaps that was an, an aspect of that. But it has got new material on it, that one, definitely. So how did this, 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 this new one come about? I mean, they've they obviously disappeared. I mean, they released, they've released a couple of VPs. They've been sampled by everybody. Um, did they just decide, well, we're now in a mid 20s late 20s we're going to go and do another album or was there sort of a clamoring had they been rediscovered and they were taking advantage of that i think they were on a small independent like, i think this came out on powwow so it was just like a yeah it's a small independent label i think they just you know they're just carrying on they obviously were a band and they wanted to keep going and performing and releasing and but they didn't have major label interest as far as i know I feel yeah. like there's a sort of revived energy as well because this is the stage when some of their children join the band as well. Am I right in saying that? Um, it might seems a bit early. No, no, no I, hang kids on. Still. Let me think. No, no, I don't think they joined by this time. But time, we're thinking but, step off. Yeah, yeah, step off. Yeah, this is this oh, is. This, I know um, Deborah has left the band at this point. She has she, absolutely. She leaves yeah. like a year after um, come away with. Uh, yeah. And that's quite uh, fractious, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I think Leroy Glover comes in for a bit, and he sort of ends up being across a few of the different records. Um, that's right. In yeah. bass duties, but then also in production yes. as well. Um, so I wonder if there's just a bit of that, yeah, revived energy, maybe wanting to make a point to to kind of do another record without Deborah. Yes, yeah, I, I get a sense of that as well. There's also a really, really amazing single. I have to talk about this. So this was what, 1991? But they released a single called Party Music in 1998, uh, 1988, and I absolutely love it. You can find it on YouTube. When I sort of presented it to the group, I thought everyone's going to love this, and everybody was a bit meh. But it, it's really fantastic and my husband has a copy of it on vinyl and I remember being at a party house party in Bristol and he was doing the DJ and he played this track and I swear to god I've never seen so many women get up and start dancing which is if you're a DJ apparently that's what you want to do because if the women are dancing 
the men will come and dance too. So it was, it was like, you know, it's like magic. And I've loved this track ever since. It's a 12 inch single. You might be able to still get it, but it is on YouTube. It's called Party Music. So I think it's really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to uh, the album, ESG, the album. ESG, the album. Um, so did they actually start getting recognition at this point like properly? Like their sample credits, obviously not paying the bills. Did this start to pay the bills or is it just still a hobby at this moment? I mean, what else was going on in early, I mean, 91. So what we've got, we've got grunge about to explode. Um, Acid House sort of disappearing a little bit in the background. I mean, what sort of musical landscape were we looking at? Is it one that was receptive? I don't think it was particularly conducive to them kind of getting anywhere. I know that they're in that Nicolas Cage movie, you know, Vampire's Kiss. Oh, they're really? In the club scene in that, wow. which is so I love a club scene in a movie. I just love it. The cheesier, the crapper, the better. But they're actually in that movie, Vampire's Kiss. So I think... Like, I don't think they were just, you know, doing it as a hobby. I think they were a band. Mm. But I also don't think that they ever really got their dues. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, I I probably edited it out by the time you hear this, but that was a really weird sound just then. Um, Okay, so early 90s, they sort of came back, rejigged a few things. Um, They're still going. Um, Under... As I called back to about five minutes ago, under Step Off, which is what, 2002? Yeah, I've written down next generation Scroggins. So I think this mm. is when this is when other more people sort of start to come in. Um, I will say by this point, occasionally for me, on a couple of tracks, the simplicity, I just think you're missing an instrument. I don't know what instrument it is. You're missing one instrument right here just to give it something. It's like they came back with, they came back doing their own thing and their parents' thing. Um, and it, there's a lot of good stuff in Step Off, but this is probably the lull for me. Chris, where are you on Step Off? This is probably my favorite, I reckon. Yay! Yeah, I think it's my favorite. I think that um, just going back to the last one, uh, ESG, ESG. The pr- for something about that album, the production just doesn't do it for me. There's something a bit weird in the sense that, uh, if I remember rightly, that's the album at times it all started to get a bit of Van Halen at one point. Like there's some it's really tre- on there. Yeah, yeah, there's some. Yeah, yeah. There's it's a lot. Quite of, weird. Yeah, yeah. Lot, I think there might be some pinch harmonics in there, which is never a good thing in my book. But um, I just remember thinking. Yeah, I also, re- I also realized I just said that out loud, and then halfway through it coming out, I wasn't entirely sure I was convinced what I was saying. So uh, maybe we'll <laughs> rescind that from it. I think there are some. Uh, we can come back to pinch harmonics anyway. Um, All right, but there's something about the production. I'll put a pin in that. Yeah, put yeah, I'll exactly. Pinch. Yeah. Um, um, I didn't. Yeah, so I didn't get on with it basically. But I think on this one, it kind of comes right. I think that sparseness, that kind of. Yeah, it's my favorite, basically. I think it's got some... I think every album has got a song on it that should have been massive. And, uh, well, there's a few on this one. But, um, like, on the last one, I think that um, Erase You should have been a massive pop song. And also, mm-hmm. just sorry, just because like, before we go past, I had the words La Tigre written next to it, so I'm glad to hear that La Tigre were influenced by it. Uh, but, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think that... Um, I think most people from the references in other places, if you thought of ESG, you'd think of that, come away with ESG. But I actually think this is a lot more interesting. I think it's, there's some amazing, yeah, 
we'll go into it, but I think it's amazing, essentially. Um, obviously, regular listeners will realize that whenever I express my opinion on anything, there's always one guest who goes, no, no, total opposite. Um, I don't even know why I'm here sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so we're we 2002. They've got this new album. Um, it's Chris's favorite. I got a bit of a lull thinking there was something missing. Um, Zoe, where's this sitting well, with you? I think it's kind of amazing that they're still making good music in 2002. Yeah. Quite frankly, I mean, fair play. With your children in the band. Fucking hell. Yeah, I know. Incredible. So just that already. Um, I love Be Good To Me. The guitar sounds mm. on that are just very sweet and sexy. Love that. Agree. And I'm always interested in bands that make guitars sound different. So all of my favorite bands, all of my favorite artists take a guitar and then they make it sound a bit weird. So My Bloody Valentine, uh, Richard Dawson, who mm. I just love. That everybody hates, which is fine. Um, I'm not sure what he guys, hates. No, yeah, we are. We're all. Oh, no. We're all in the are club. We all, we're all in the club. Re- I was. Please tell me that we are. Yeah, I I'm was. Ca- just, I'm yeah. still catching up. I'm still catching up as a brief side on the Richard Dawson stuff, and um, I just, I like it. There's some vocal things I'm still getting used to, but no, 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 no. It's- the week of the uh, the immersion, which is a busy week. So uh, I've seen him live a few times. I'm well in the camp. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, we don't. We, we'll save that for the Richard Dawson immersion, right? Uh, the Absolutely. Podcast. Uh, um, uh, um. <laughs> right. So back to ESG. But no, step off. I think step off is really interesting. I totally agree with Chris. Um, I love that Mike Plowman. You know Mike Plowman. He's our sort of elder statesman. I was about to mention this. Our, yeah. Um, you will, yeah our listeners okay. will know him from uh, the full part six and part five. Yes. He's the elder statesman of the um, temporary fandoms group. And he absolutely fell in love with this album. And it was so beautiful to see. And I was sort of going, you don't know how cool you're going to be to your kids. And then I realized, like, actually, most kids, they don't care about this album. So they're not going to care about this band. <laughs> so I was showing my age myself. But I just think it's it's really interesting and it's really great. And I just think all credit to them in 2002 that they're still making interesting music without support, without any, you know, back backing like well-deserved backing and resources that they should have had um yeah um, how many people are in the band at this point uh okay i think oh i've got the lineup somewhere i can't remember nicole and chastel are definitely in I they think are yes nicholas joins the band but it might be later renee's son as well um so yeah i think least, he comes in later yeah so at least four Okay. okay. I mean, it's hard to imagine there's many of them for such a sparse sound. Well, this is this was my question. It does sound like something that two people could have done, and I'm saying this in a very positive way. It sounds like you, you sort of wonder what all the band members are doing sometimes. Like they're sort of standing around taking things away. Um, yeah, I did write. This is bare bones, and it is all about the rhythm. They keep on moving it, uh, sorry, moving it forward. But yeah, it's just. I don't know. I felt this one was a bit lacking for me. There is definitely something that happens at this point where. You could argue that a lot of the songs, nothing really happens, but it's that kind of beautiful thing in the fact that it just keeps you intrigued. I don't know. There's something about yes, the rhythm thing, isn't it? Like that is definitely the kind of characteristic I think from now on that you've just kind of got to stick with it, and it has this kind of again, I'm going to use the cliche word, but it's the atmosphere of, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. song, like yeah, it's a mood. Yeah, it's not me. It's absolutely like unbelievable. Like there's something about that song, about that and um, six pack. I think is amazing. Mm. The fact that six pack isn't like a staple of every indie disco is a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nick corrected me the other day that I might have think thought it was about something it wasn't about the other day. So 
Do we know what that I one? Think, I think it, I think it was Zoe who told me that a six pack yeah. in this song is actually a, a packet of condoms, not a I, pack of beers. Did I say that once again. Every single podcast you say Zoe said this thing. I'm like, what? Really? Well, did maybe, I say maybe that? someone else said. Oh, I don't know, okay. but like it, it made me. It also made me reassess the uh, Black Flag song of the same name, which I'd always assumed <laughs> oh. was about beer. But suddenly, then when you know when you think, well, twenty five dollars and a six pack to my name is the chorus, and you, oh, about condoms. It's, that changes everything. I love a bit of safe sex. No, I'm, mm. I'm all for that. That's I great. think that is something we haven't mentioned yet, actually, that I find safe the sex. lyric, uh, well, that Sorry. as well, but <laughs> always, but the, the lyrics in general, I find all of the lyrics, you can take them on a very surface level and they're like, oh, it's a bit party, whatever. But particularly again, as it goes on, they're all, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if I'd hand over to other no more, but it's just the lyrics are very simple, but really, yeah, really powerful. Once you start like really focusing in on them, but I don't know enough about their situation of like what the songs are about, but there's definitely a real just simplicity. And I suppose you could say that all the way yeah. through, but a real amazing simplicity. Cause like, as I said earlier, it's not easy to do simple, if that makes sense. It is. <laughs> I, I totally agree. There's kind of a Zen of it, isn't there? Mm. There's some sort of Zen thing in it when you take a phrase and you repeat it and yeah, it's got to be good because otherwise it's just boring and they manage to like hold my attention. So they're doing something right. I mean, sure. this does follow the narrative of a lot of the bands we've covered on the pod, I Can and The Fall um, and ESG, different types of bands, but still there is, they are loved because of their repetition and not necessarily bridge chorus structures, mm-hmm. etc. Okay, so we've, we went from an album a decade, um, and now we're only going to wait four years. Um, is it four years to keep on moving? Yeah. And this is when this is the band gets bigger at this point. Although the music still stays stays relatively bare bones, right? I think it's more minimal. I think this album and step off. They just like took the, everything the out. Episode, a, I think it's the opening track, purely physical. It's such a sparse track. I feel. And, uh, I feel like this is deep in Renee's like dub. Yeah. Love. Yeah. yeah. But it's also funny that I mean I think Zoe mentioned this in the in the introductions. This whole thing that that she really they didn't do themselves any favors with making themselves incredibly easy to sample because they just That's they right. all sound like backing tracks. They all sound like tracks you could take and then add a few more layers on. I guess it's just kind of what Ewan was saying about step off as well, feeling like there's something missing. It's like yeah, so much yeah, the of that kind stuff. Of- yeah. Complaining about being sampled and then making highly sampleable yeah. tracks. Stop it. <laughs> get a brass section. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I did by this point get surprised by how little they had changed. Everyone changes. All bands change. All bands. We've just come off the back of recording six episodes about the fall. The fall stayed the same, but they changed dramatically throughout. There was certain periods. And yeah, okay, one bit sounds a bit more 80s and this bit sounds a little bit more 90s, but in theory, this is exactly the same band. It's a continuation of what they were doing before. Sherry, do you agree? I don't agree with that. Yay! No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wrote on my very extensive notes that it's so processed and so digital. For me, it's like ESG yeah. meets logic. And I know what you mean about Step Off, but for me, that comes much later than love. Um, like the next record, uh, where I'm where I'm kind of missing something. Uh, I think keep on moving. It's interesting because they've had this kind of um, resurge of interest in a in a small way uh, mm. because they're on a bigger label. I'm doing inverted commas, 
on soul jazz so they've got a bit of structure they've got a bit of industry behind them and so soul jazz i'm assuming their pr good job of sending out the record and trying to get a bit of coverage so i did actually find which is very rare for esg reviews from the guardian uncut right. observer talking about um and it is interesting i guess it's just the theme of this whole podcast and for esg she probably feels like it's shaped her whole career is this perception and whether um whether you're reviewing completely critically or whether you're reviewing the legacy so a lot mm. of people would say, you know, like maybe they're unknown, but it's not some obscure band that isn't worth the hype. They are worth the hype. And I truly believe that. But you do wonder sometimes if you're just sort of influenced by what you've heard because yeah. of, they're that band from the 80s. Um, so, no, I, I liked it. Um, it. I guess for me, I felt like it, it deviated loads. There's loads of R&B in this one. Like yeah. that X with the piano is kind of a very sort of sultry um and then you've got like kind of the earlier sounds with the rhythm blocks coming back purely physical as we talked about sort of crisp by hats very solely very sensual um so it felt different to me it felt different from the kind of 80s indie funk scene sorry can i sorry Cherie, can i ask mm. what the uh, reviews said about this album mm. like more or less what was the general um, I, consensus they were they were positive all of them oh, okay. but, but that's kind of what I mean is that they were positive yeah. in a sense of you may not have heard of this band but they've still got it and they're worth listening to right okay interesting yeah. but is it is it that thing I think you alluded to that um, it's almost because they're a musician's band and because they're held up by this point as being this cool thing that no one else knows um, we all have known but have never been that person who liked things because they were cool we have all been that person. We have um, totally been that person. <laughs> we literally have a podcast talking about bands that we think are cool. But um, is there an element of that that's really hard to sort of disassociate from? Of sort of, oh, they are good, but are they good because I want to look cool? Yeah, I think there's almost that fear, isn't there? Um, and and that's kind of what I meant about that whole like, should I say this or should I not? Being clear about what you. Dis disassociating that but no it's five stars in the observer and his byline wow. his lead sorry says are these post-punks the world's only mother and daughter's group i don't know but they're surely the best yeah, and, it's and, kind of amazing i mean yeah. we have to give credit to, to that i think that is a valid point but also this album is quite weird it's quite yeah. it's quite odd, isn't it? So I know you, um, Cherie, you were saying there's like R and B, but it's R and B, but it's really quite weird. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> oh, yeah, R and B, come like Ashanti, yeah. 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 And I kind of that's what I love about them. I love Same. that they're always a little bit outsider, and I've got a fucking terrible reputation in the group for being the one that always brings the outsider bands for my immersions. But actually, I listen to loads of mainstream mainstream stuff. It's just that I think that these bands mm. make the best immersions. Like, I don't want to go and listen to something that everybody loves and knows. So anyway, back to ESG. This is a really odd album. Mm. And it sounds the very... road. Yeah, yeah the, the road. Post-apocalyptic thing. I've got, that, they... I've got that funky industrial. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they're doing... Uh, but I mean, that sounds you amazing. And, it, it but amazing. you and you mentioned this earlier where you said Nine Inch Nails and they, mm. they're doing industrial yeah. These yeah. ladies yeah. are doing industrial, right? It's all the um, spring reverb, isn't it, on the drums yeah. for me. It's just huge, absolutely yeah. like clattering warehouse drums. Because I look through this album more than any of them, I actually had like against things that sort of made me think of. When I look through it, like I had for physical, 
it made me think of like Hyperdub, the record label Hyperdub and that kind of stuff going on there. For moving, I had Fugazi, which is the dub thing that you were talking about, yeah. uh, Zoe. And then I had, I'd do it for you. It sounds like a love song through a drum machine, which I don't know what that means. But then, Oof. and then X basically sounds like I do it for you without the drum machine. So it's just like, <laughs> then, if you read that in a letter row, it sounds like it would be really all over the place. But actually, there's a kind of, again, it is weird, but it all fits together and it kind of just makes sense as them, I suppose. That's it. It's, yeah. Um, just for people who are listening, Chris was just reading out of his notebook a little, and I just have this image of paying money to go and watch Chris read out his yeah, from like, his notebook of bands and things <laughs> that remind him of other things. It's, it's like it's like some form of modern street jazz poetry. Is that yeah, really? yeah. I just want to talk about actually. Um, Cherie mentioned this earlier that there was a bit of a resurgence in interest in ESG because they had their sort of eighties thing, and then they, you know. As you can see, no one paid them any attention and they got sampled loads. They got no money and no recognition or very little recognition. I mean, um, I know the Beastie Boys gave credit to them, but they were sampled like over 400 times. Where are all the people saying these ladies, you know, and I think this is one of the things that Renee cuts up rough about and quite rightly so, is that they're being sampled by hip hop artists who are incredibly misogynistic and, you know, basically almost talking about violence against women and they're using this track from this all-girl band and i would be fucking pissed off quite frankly you know so it's really interesting that at this time there was a resurgence in interest in this band soul jazz have to be credited for that for saying check this out they they re-released a lot of their early stuff is that right yeah, because then and then they dub- they doubled with fire as well, didn't they? <laughs> yes. I didn't mean it like that. I meant the record label. <laughs> but um yeah. I guess maybe Renee feels like that too. Uh yeah, so fire records came in a bit. It's it's interest like I said at the start, it's just interesting seeing her kind of potentially thinking about record labels, then getting burned by that and thinking, no, I want to do mm. our own thing, yeah. then going back into it in 2000, maybe massive like i don't know if this is true but you know her younger generation are saying we should get a label involved let's give that a go she's like okay let's go for that um yeah yeah do you think it sounds self-produced though this album i feel it's got that real i guess in the logic sense yeah in the fact Mm. that i can feel them making it and seeing the components of the parts coming together in the recording and the sampling yeah i do think what's interesting about these last two albums is my feeling is if you were um, going back to your reference about um, parties, Zoe, if you put on Come Away with ESG, everyone would be hooked straight away, but like well into this. These two, yeah. you, I don't like to be that guy that says, you know, you've got, you've got to really listen. I don't mean it like that, but there's definitely, you need a bit of time with it. Definitely give it one yeah. go and then try again. It's, they've moved into a bit more of a, um, yeah, you need to give it a bit of a second listen and kind of stick um- with it. That was possibly my problem because um, I re-listened to I listened to them a year ago when we originally did the pilot episode of this podcast, and I've listened to them all again this week um, while I was making lunch every day. Um, the last two albums were a Thai chicken curry, um, and I it was great, and I was dancing around, but I wanted the first ones, which did mm. grab me straight away on like an initial listen. And Zoe, you sort of put your hand up and then put it down again. No, I'm all right. Okay. I'm, I'm um, fine. I, I just had a thought and then I'm I'm okay with it. The other thing I was going to say earlier, actually, um, I find the earlier albums I can put on the stereo and I just do stuff while I'm, I don't know, cleaning the house. What do you do when you listen to music? Clean the house, whatever. I found these two albums do sound much better on headphones that you can focus and the sound 
benefits from that. Whereas I find, yeah, the earlier stuff is I can listen to any context. These ones, if I'm walking or running or whatever, they, they work better in that context because they are, it comes alive a bit more for me, I think, the sound. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us on um, to closure. Um, how many years is the gap? 2013, we're in seven 2000, years. yeah. Okay, so another yeah. seven years. Um, I, I can already predict what's going to happen. I'm going to say, actually, I really like this, and then somebody's going to tell me that I'm an idiot. Because, yeah, I think it's the worst album. <laughs> I thought that Thump was a banger of an opener. I thought it was all bass, disco guitar. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I thought the album, it just, I don't know, I really enjoyed the album throughout, um, inc- even though there were times that the percussion reminded me of Kid Creole and the Coconuts, which isn't a bad thing because I actually quite like Kid Creole and the Coconuts, but I didn't expect to hear it in here. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, you said it's the worst album? I'm exaggerating for the sake of being contrary. <laughs> But but actually, I mean, you know, if I were to rank them, I'd put it last. Yes, which uh, isn't to say I don't I don't like it. I just think track for track, it's weaker than the other ones. It doesn't have like all the other track albums have got tracks on it that are just real gems, and I don't I don't feel there's anything on here that, that I have strong feelings about really. Tom, uh, can we talk? Tom. Can we talk about the cover? Oh, oh no! Word <laughs> yeah, oh, the cover is it's the second worst cover. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I have yeah, a note yeah. about the worst cover, and we haven't got to it yet. Yeah, it's very it's awful. There. Very unbelievable. Paint. I kind of love it though. Well, I know it's, it, it is definitely in and the realm of yeah. so bad that it's it's good because you it's couldn't good, set yeah. out to make a cover that bad on purpose. So they're self they're self releasing at this point, aren't they? So yeah. <laughs> It's just so adorable. Self-designing as well. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I'm sorry, but it like it like warms my little heart. I'd have done it for my heart. Chris is looking at the cover now. <laughs> yeah, I am looking at the cover. That's exactly what yeah. I'm trying to remember what it looked like. I think also because it's so meta. You know, we talked yeah. before about Chris, yeah. you made a comment about the vocals and like, you know, looking further into them and having a bit more depth. Whereas this is very like, this is going to be our last album. We are going to have a door on the cover. Yes. <laughs> Yes, um, it's very literal. And I yeah. love that, that they're like, yeah, we're quitting now. This is it. Closure. We're all done. <laughs> yeah. Of course yeah. they're not. But no. they're saying, no, 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 really, really. Um, p- people who know me well and in real life, they know that one of my biggest pet peeves is the over-literal use of music and things. Um, I love things that are meta and self-referential, but you know, when you're watching something and someone's sad walking down the street, they're like, walking down the street, uh, that sort of thing. So this cover was sort of, ah, uh-huh, got it. Has anybody um, here seen that um, on that subject, the, the Morrissey film, the story of the film about Morrissey's life, what was it called? Oh, England no, is Mine. No. That if you want to watch a film, there is a no, bit in it. He's dead yeah. to me, sorry. Uh, he is. Sorry, uh, yeah. to, to be clear, <laughs> it was, when I say pre all of that, it's all a bit ropey, isn't it, the last 25 years? But um, there's a bit in that where literally he does everything as if he's acting out a song. It's like the worst yeah. referential to the music, cause, and they can't use the music either. Anyway, away from Morrissey, sorry. That was no, a, dark, just a, okay. low, a, low no. moment, a low moment. For me, Morrissey um, was like the TV series Lost. I, I, I moved away after about five episodes, and then when everybody realised it was shit right at the end, I just laughed at them because I, I was right. Well, and well, I, was ve- I was very rarely right. This time I was right. <laughs> I think we should still do a Smith's episode. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm well, well up for that. I've, I've taken this into a very dark direction. Sorry. <laughs> 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 
Um, Thanks, Chris. Yeah, sorry about that. I was thinking, listening to this one, you know, like a lot of bands when they've, they've been back for a while or, you know, they're still going and then you inevitably get a crossover where they do a collaboration with someone or you try something. I really wanted to hear this album if they'd like paired up with The Roots or Questlove, someone like that. There's something, oh, yeah. There's yeah, something that about, could... I just really heard it in the, I just think that overlap would be amazing. And I don't know what it is, but this one just feels really, there's a lot of drums on it, a hell of a lot of drums and like, funkiness to it they just that's the image i want that to happen that's just... they've still got something haven't they yeah exactly. they really have still even after all this time they've still got something i think like the pain yeah that's amazing amazing R&B, but it's always just a little bit weird yeah <laughs> once again i love it and and i feel tonight that's another one which you feel like, oh this is the start of something this has got something here but then it doesn't really develop but I also really love on this one, uh, Strange Creatures Dance, yeah. which I think it's is great. the end. Yeah. yeah, it's such a great track. Mm. So I feel like, wow, there's still, there's still something there. They're self-producing, they're self-releasing. Won't someone just give them a break and come in and like... What, what year is this? Money? 2013. Yeah. Mm. But I think Strange Creatures Dance, you're so right, Zoe. Like, for me, that had... It reminded me of Georgia. I feel like if Georgia hasn't listened mm. to them, it could be yeah. on her most recent Seeking Thrills. Like it's yeah. the exact sort of Bonnie Tyler synths and pads. And I, for me, I'm with Nick. Like it's definitely the weakest one. I miss the real drums. Um, I just yeah. want, and I think that's what the shift happens for me in these um, follow-up records from Come Away With, where it is a full band. And that sounds really like puritanical, but I just want to hear like the timbales and the congas and the drop. That for me is what is ESG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, that's the, their strength, right? Yeah. So when they go electronic, we yeah. lose something there. Exactly. And I think that's valid. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So for me, it, it felt weak because of that, but there are still some great tracks. And interestingly, to seg us into the next album, the year after... I feel like they almost get their sort of legend period because they play at the Park Page at Glastonbury. Yes, that's right. And they play yes. at um, James Lavelle's Meltdown Festival, which is the only time I've ever seen them, which oh. was tremendous. I was going to say, have you seen them? That's that was wonderful. Mine, that's what I was just about yeah. to ask as well. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> you came up. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> funny, though, because it was in the um, Royal Festival Hall, which is seated, obviously. Yeah. And if there is a band that should not be performing <laughs> in a seated venue is ESG. Yeah. So everyone got up and walked down the steps and they were all in the front just dancing. It was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting that they've managed to yeah, I guess they've moved into that legacy phase of like now they've been performing for three, four decades. They play the park stage at Glastonbury, but almost as a remember this band rather than uh, this is their latest record closure. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, well, that's, that is a perfect time to, to segue up to um, the worst. On al- Welcome to album cover chat. Um, now we are moving to the worst album cover. Um, incidentally, um, in a previous episode, we talked about an album cover and then were contacted by somebody on social media who had the original artwork of said album cover. So if anybody's listening who have the original clip art gifts <laughs> files um, of, of these, these, these album covers, please get in touch. Um, so yeah, what more can you take with possibly the worst album cover of all time anybody's ever done ever it's quite it's, bad I, yeah, yeah the, the album cover i kind of got to be clear yeah, here because i, I, I quite like, like the album oh we're, we're not there yet we're, we're on album cover okay chat. okay, okay. <laughs> different segment um 
I mean, what the fuck were they thinking? I mean, they've got multi-generations in this band at this moment. So you've got, I mean, this feels like misguided auntie trying to be cool, um, but, the, but the kids have gone, yeah, whatever, let's, let's pull it out. Ewan, they're grannies. They're essentially grannies. Is your granny as cool as fucking ESG, quite frankly? But there, there are other people in that band, there are younger people in that band who would go, what are you doing? Can we get would a you, if you're, if like Renee is your mum, would you face up to her and say, don't no, do that? I'm, I'm a, a coward. coward. I'm yeah, a coward. Coward. Yes, I would. I'd say, let me do whatever it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think Renee is a formidable woman and more power to her. And if that's what album cover she wants, then. Also, yeah, they're quite, quite an bad. eclectic bunch. I'm pretty sure when they played the uh, South Bank, Nicholas came on as a lizard. Like just dressed as a lizard so <laughs> if you if you're like yeah you're wearing that cool yeah that's fine <laughs> yeah then they'd be fine with that record cover yeah i do um, like the idea of how you would describe it to somebody that you want someone in what might be like late 90s like new metal trousers and what seems like a dead rat like yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean it's simple if nothing else i suppose <laughs> i mean if, if there was a, if there's like some form of party parlor game where you know you have to draw an album cover that someone's describing to you yes um, i'm not sure where we'd go with this one however i want to play that game now next time i get drunk and people are allowed to come to my house i um, play that game <laughs> um, so the album um we talked earlier on about or I talked earlier, we had a bit of a conversation earlier on about um, would their early stuff be released in the same sound if it was released now? This is the one that all the production for me seems turned up mm. massively. Like, it's, you know, they've got there's, there's everything, they've, there's, they've got the equipment and everything's boosted and turned up and there's this bigger, bigger, bigger sound. But good or bad, I mean, I'm just, this, this sounded the most different to the initial stuff that I could get to. And Nick, you mentioned that you quite like this one. Yeah, I do. I mean, again, maybe maybe doesn't have the the individually standout tracks of the earlier ones in the same way, but the the overall sound feels. I don't know. It just sounds better than closure to me. But also in in my notes, I'm not sure which track I was thinking of, but I, I've just noted like Little Sims and Salt. That there's a kind of there's something along those lines going on, and I was wondering if when that Little Sims album came out. If it was not long after I'd been listening to a lot of ESG, and that's why I was so receptive to it, maybe I, I didn't think of that at the time. It only occurred to me in this last week while I was listening. Um, but then again, you've got a track like uh, "My Bug," which has that big sort of industrial sound again, like the road. It's nuts. Your granny's making industrial, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive. Some, I some think. of the guitars go into sort of Bill and Ted's. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Don't they? Proper <laughs> like Faith No More doing the Libra. <laughs> I also thought the ESG thing would sound like totally monumental live. Like it sounds like it would be massive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And because that's, that's, that's one of the, all the way through all of it, I did start thinking like, what would it be like live? Like, would mm. it be this kind of just how, because going back to your um, thing about the Royal Festival Hall, the only gig I've seen as part of Meltdown uh, was Sun. I went to see Sun at Royal Festival Hall. And again, I imagine some of the sound on this, if it was up, like loud and bassy, it would be like really physical, like really kind of, um, yeah, I can imagine it being quite, quite big, basically. It'll probably be unsurprising to know that they hardly played any new stuff in that set. Uh, so right, okay. I, I specifically remember them playing Watching because I remember thinking that was a really weird 
song yeah. lyrics are really strange. And um, but other than that, it was a lot. It was a best. I mean, you've got so many albums to cover and so many great tracks. I think they just went proper greatest hits mm. for the set list. There was there was a greatest there was um, a greatest hits album yeah. at some point, wasn't it? Dance Dance to ESG. I think it's been quite a few compilations. Okay, okay, um, okay. So I mean, they have been a constant. Except they've they've changed it a little bit. And how many family members in total have been in ESG? I think it's three, isn't it? It's it's the three. That was it's at the start. Yeah, and at the start. Then... Going to be <laughs> eight or something. Okay. Oh, you mean in total? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of like the next generation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I okay. can't do maths. <laughs> Um, okay, so I mean, they're a band that definitely they've got their legacy uh, originally as a musicians band, and they were lauded by the same people who were also stealing their samples and not giving them money. Um, and now there does seem to be a um, place, a recognition uh, of people looking back and go, "This band, they've just they've just finished, or maybe they haven't. Maybe they'll come back with another amazing album cover." Um, this band mean something to music um and obviously they've influenced a lot of different um artists over the years um i'm slightly distracted because behind zoe it looks like her husband was trying to open the door and crawl and stay out of the camera it was a child yeah that's my was it a that's child? my daughter my oh, okay. eldest yeah uh, carry on what's her so, favorite um esg album she doesn't like esg she <gasps> likes the mechanisms and podcasts oh my god they're even I wasn't sure. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if the mechanism was a comment on like the political structures. Sorry, I wasn't sure why. They're a podcast-related band. It's very, very complex. It's all like fandoms and and Rebo temporary stuff. fandoms. Claxon, <gasps> Claxon. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe, okay. maybe we're cooler than we thought we were. Maybe we've got younger references than we realise. We are not cool. We are just as cool as we thought we were, if not slightly <laughs> less so. Um, so um, we've, we've gone through the journey of ESG. Um, I mean, legacy, do you think? I mean, are there any... We've, we've mentioned things like LCD sound system, uh, big artists that have sort of been influenced, that have had them as an influence. Um, they've also seemed to fit a very similar space coming through the post-punk era um, of things like The Fall or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think this is it for ESG? Do you think they're going to stand, have their place in, in, in music's history, in the, in the canon of, um, or do you think they're just going to be what they are now? That was a terrible question. Well, hopefully hopefully this question podcast later. is going to break them. Mm. Well, if there's any justice in the world, then, yeah. yeah, they will get the recognition that they rightly deserve. Yeah. And when Cherie's um, book comes out, opening night, surely, book release, gig. Well, <laughs> so there's, it's no... Um, no like happenstance that it's coming out the year of the 40th anniversary of come away with so i I, I pushed for that and i would love to lure Mm. renee out to yeah play again um as zoe said previously i think she said numerous times this is the last album from esg this is the last gig from esg i think i interviewed her once and she said exactly that and then the second time i interviewed her it was like, oh no, we are still, we're still playing, we're still here. Um, so I hope, yeah, forty years on, maybe there'll be the proper righteous fanfare for them. I'm looking Fans. forward to their third final album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and hopefully they'll 
Maybe the next one has is a door reopening. I was thinking. Uh, oh. <laughs> I do find I, I do find interesting with them because I can only go on my experience of how I came a, across them, but I do think they're so overly associated with that kind of uh, punk funk, if you will, DFA, that kind of early two yeah. thousands revival that really underplays them. I think that's one of their biggest problems that you know you can say oh they kind of influenced the rapture and all that kind of um, stuff that happened in the early two thousands, but really that's such a small part of what they did, and I wonder if that's their biggest biggest problem like actually there's so much more but i don't know how you get that across because it's as we said earlier on there's a bit more work that goes with it i don't know yeah just I don't, don't know. neatly fit into any one place no. which is what's yeah. great about them but also probably why they may never get the recognition they deserve i hope i'm wrong well um well if you are listening to this and you haven't been listening to the spotify playlist um please take some time and go and explore everything um, you can find it on all the Spotify's and the YouTube's. And if you really like them, there's probably a band camp or something where you can go and actually, you know, buy something from the from the artist, and they actually get some money for all the different samples that they've been having over the years. Um, we're going to wrap up at this point. It has been an absolute pleasure um, making doing some justice to ESG. Um, it's sort of sat there as a pilot episode that we didn't really do, and it deserves so much more. So. Zoe, thank you ever so much for coming back on and doing this again. Thank you. Thanks for giving ESG the, you know, <laughs> the support they deserve, finally. Uh, um, Chris, thank you for coming on and reading from your little notebook. There's so much more from this notebook. Just waste yourselves. Yeah. Uh, Cherie, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Mm, Such mm. a joy. Thank you. Nick? Yes. See you later. Bye-bye. Is it over already? In that case, it must be time for me to roll the credits. Thank you, Zoe von Hess, for your heartfelt introductions and for rejoining us for the group discussion. Thanks also to Christopher Whitby and to writer and broadcaster Sharia Moore. Look out for her forthcoming book on Come Away with ESG for the 33 and a third series. It's sure to be brilliant. Thank you also to my obstinate co-host Ewan, who simply refused to let ESG be that band we did on our half-assed pilot episode. You done good, Ewan. Mars Scroggins would be proud of you. Thanks as always to Jonathan Fisher as well for our soundtrack. If you enjoyed the show, you can show us by liking and subscribing, but better still, chuck us a review on Apple Podcasts. We haven't got the budget to offer you bribes, but know that you'd earn mine and Ewan's appreciative nodding. And please do join us again next time to listen to more incredible records. I'm Nihildich, and I'm going to erase you just like a drawing. Pump it up, girl! Cherie, can I ask? Yes. Uh, we I was going to ask you this during it, but uh, mm. what? So, what's the angle of the book then? Are you, are you doing an album, or are you doing one album and then look at the whole thing? What, what's the what's what's your angle? I can't say the word. Sorry. So it is one album because the thirty-three and a third, the very like yeah, picture album. Picture yeah, I album. It, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I've gone for "Come Away With," even though yeah. it hasn't got UFO on it, obviously. <laughs> um, but I did in the, I don't know if any of you have ever applied for first three and a third, but it's super extensive, the proposal. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to do like the structure and the chapters. So the chapters um, do centre on the EP and kind of backdrop South Bronx story um, mm. growing up in the project, then moves into sort of that Manhattan, Manchester scene. 
Um, I've then I've got a bit about that legacy of them playing oh, across cool. decades. And then I really, I've got a bit on sample credits that I'd like to get some kind of experts on. Uh, mm-hmm. And then a bit at the end around um, other people have been influenced by them, kind of, you know, heavyweight names. So I've gone Amazing. ambitious. I don't know if I'll get all those people, but um, I'm hoping so. I've been chatting to Peter Hook about um, oh, wow. getting his kind of hacienda take on it which would be mm. awesome and i spoke to an incredible woman from the bronx music heritage center who's told me a lot about the projects and kind of growing up there so yeah Sounds and then amazing i, yeah, I wanted to speak yeah. to renee but um yeah when i messaged her about the bit she's she's as you can imagine she's quite a um like tough character and I think she's probably quite guarded yeah been burnt a lot and initially she was a bit um off with me about it but then she emailed back like five hours later because of the time delay saying oh Sheree I remember speaking to you and you were one of the journalists that got it right so yeah hopefully she'll chat to me I just I want to make sure the time I get with her is really pointed and I'm not Mm. you know it's focused to not bother her too much because she's got bad knees hasn't she she's got bad knees (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> how how did you find working with 33 and a third because a friend of mine just applied for to them Ooh, that was yeah. just strangely after nick mentioned that you were doing a 33 yeah. and a third he messaged saying he'd apply for one but that's oh, weird. Okay. which album yeah. he wants to do um do you know the band dead meadow uh-huh yeah the grunt the like psych rock band but um, he, he's been he's been in contact with them and they've got back straight away saying they'll do interviews for it and stuff but i'm not sure if he's been overly enthusiastic very early that's my that's my only concern but well, the story i know is that is that stuart lee got turned down to do a hex induction hour i did so, not you know, know that uh, wow. apparently apparently gosh yeah. um yeah they fit i haven't it was a long process. Like yeah, I, not, not just me doing it, but as in, I didn't hear back for ages. So I only actually found out, I think I submitted it in July and then I found out in December last year. Oh. Um, and I think they'd said they'd get back to everyone by September. And I didn't <laughs> think so. I kind of assumed it wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, and I know there was quite like fierce competition, but the good thing is it's super varied. The last round mm. that they've just accepted, mm. like Kendrick Lamar's on there. So is Babes in Toyland and ESG, wow. which I'm oh, amazing. Great. Yeah. 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 That's great news. Yeah, it sounds exciting as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. <laughs> great. Let's You've continue sold four this. Already. There's four yeah, copies at exactly. least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>